Welcome back to the Best Person in the Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Lewa. My next guest serves as the cap as a captain for the Orange County Sheriff's Department. And with 17 years of experience in law enforcement, he started his career in Iowa before embarking on various roles throughout Orange County, ranging from courts to patrol to SWAT and now to his current leadership role. And I'm really excited about this episode and, and, and this person's willingness to do this because actually he's one of my favorite people in the world. I'm going to warn you listeners today, um, not on the content, but that you might mix our voices up. So we're going to do our best to make sure that we're, we're very clear about who's talking when. This is my twin brother. Welcome, Captain Joseph Walewa. Thank you. Thank you very much, man. I know it's been a long time coming, and I'm actually excited for this conversation. Me too, man. And thank you for being here, and I appreciated you coming out and visiting last week. I know we couldn't do this in person from our first in-person uh, podcast interview, but you know, I, I, this is good. This is great. This sound quality is really good here. So, hey, just to start off, um, you know, the listeners have, I've probably referred to you a half a dozen times in the last few seasons, and this is the season four. So now they're getting a chance to meet you. So if you can tell the listeners a little bit more about your role in Orange County Sheriff's Department. So I currently serve as the role of captain here at the Orange County Sheriff's Department. Um, my current assignment is I'm the director, or we also call it the Academy Commander for the Orange County Sheriff's Regional Training Academy out in Tustin, California. Um, at our academy, we train not only Orange County Sheriff's deputies, but also law enforcement officers from both Orange and Los Angeles counties. So as a director, it's just my role to essentially run the day-to-day operations of the academy to focus on and implement uh, programming um, to kind of pay attention to what's going on with the latest in law enforcement trends and, and training um, training requirements and just ensure compliance with the, with the state requirements for training in law enforcement. And then, of course, there's staffing and everything else you do as, as a manager or as a director of any type of a program like this. So it's a pretty neat role, and it's a great opportunity that I, I get and I, I love in helping to develop the future of law enforcement. Thanks for sharing that. That's very helpful. I, I, I know we're going to go a little off script here a little bit and just tell me what you feel comfortable with. But I'm, I'm curious about your, it, you, it's, you know, you're reporting to really important people who do really important work, and you're also responsible for a lot of people who are doing really important work or who are going into fil- the field of law enforcement. And I'm, I'm kind of curious about your leadership approach. Uh, what's kind of what's your approach with such a complex organization? Well, you know, what happens is we're, we're kind of fortunate in our business and that you, you it's almost like an apprenticeship you know you, everyone starts at the, the the ground level you go to a basic academy you get that entry level lo- a bit of training and then from role to role or assignment to assignment hopefully you pick up some skills and tricks in terms of just doing the job and then of course over the course of time leadership is more is emphasized um so again i started the academy and then it, for the orange county sheriff's department most of our deputy sheriffs start in the jail so we actually work in a county jail and we have one of the larger jail systems in, in america with uh when pre-covid our numbers were right around 5500 inmates with uh, four different jail facilities so that's it's a pretty good place to learn learn your role and learn how to do your job but at every stage in the process whether you're recruiting the academy or working in the jail or when you go off to patrol um, leadership is emphasized um, not only in being able to lead 
uh, for example, your class while you're in the academy, but but also to lead a team handling a mission within the jail. Let's say there's an emergency mission in the jail or in patrol if you're leading a scenario. Leadership is just seems to be one of the biggest things that we emphasize um, within our business. So kind of the, the development to get here, it's it's one of those things where little by little you're adding things and you're learning things from, from different people in leadership. We're constantly training. We're constantly reading. It's just a, a really good place to kind of cut your teeth and, and really find out what works. And then probably more importantly, find out what doesn't work. So that's kind of been my story. And, and uh, I think that's why I've been as fortunate to be in the role that I am today. That's a it's kind of a really smart approach because, you know, I think it's a it's a tough and I'm sure at times intense job. And I, I can't imagine, you know, there's best practices in every industry that we utilize uh, but you know all, what you the the things that don't work can teach you sometimes more than the things that obviously come natural and easy, you know. So you kind of talked a little bit about this, but I, in your introduction, I talked about your your time in Iowa. But tell, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about your path to your role, like your career path, like your start, and kind of would you would you walk us through that? Sure. So um, I was fortunate enough to join you at the University of Iowa. In the late 90s and i was able to graduate with a degree in psychology um i initially thought i was going to try to get into the fbi and do some type of federal job i i like psychology i was i was a big fan of that movie silence of the Lambs. so i thought hey maybe i could be a forensic psychologist right uh some type of uh, a profiler or something like that um but in that process and in the course of the life i actually met some cops and to be kind of take it back a little further you know we as you know we grew up in the 90s and we grew up during the days of Rodney King and some pretty uh, controversial times. So it's, it was interesting being a young person growing up during that time and then to get into college and then to actually meet law enforcement officers to meet cops. And so after meeting a few officers and doing an internship in Washington, D.C. and doing some ride-alongs with both the Arlington Police Department and the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, I just realized something pretty simple. And that was that, that the guys who I was riding along with were just guys like me, you know, just average guys who stepped up and try to take on a challenge and, and try to do the best they can. And something about being out and about, being outdoors, having that dynamic work location, that all was just really appealing to me. So that's why I decided to skip the whole idea of joining the feds and just to become a regular old street cop. So um, as you probably know, getting hired isn't very easy in law enforcement. Every, they look at everything from your uh, background to your credit history to everything in between your job history. So after a few runs of trying to get hired on, I was able to first start my career in corrections. So I got a job with the Iowa Department of Correctional Services in 2003. I'm right about the time when I got married. And then from there, about a year later, I took a job with the Scott County, Iowa Sheriff's Office. And that was my first actual, actual real police job. And that was in 2004, um, back in uh, April of 2004. So I went to the academy in Iowa and started my career in, in a very different type of law enforcement that I've ever experienced since then. You know, so I'm talking, you know, working in rural areas, driving down gravel roads, handling scenarios for anything from your run-of-the-mill average call for service of uh, people need help to DUIs, to domestic violence, to getting cows off the road because the cows broke free through a pasture and now they're out in the middle of the roadway. So it was a very interesting uh, experience and interesting entry into the world of law enforcement for me. So I guess if I can continue on, if that makes sense. Yeah, please. Because I was going to say, I, I, I really don't think that you've encountered cows that much in Orange County, but you could correct me if I'm wrong. 
No, as a matter of fact, I've you know, never, never seen another cow since <laughs> Iowa. So, <laughs> except for at the fairgrounds, except for at the fairgrounds. So, yeah, so then um, it was one, I just got in the Scott County department and I was really liking it and they have a great department and, and just great leadership. And But the truth was I started really kind of taking stock. You know, it's one thing to think about what a job is going to be like when you're on the outside looking in and, you know, all these college students, we all come out of school and we all think it's going to be one way, but it's usually a very interesting look once you actually get the job. And what I found out um, is I just, I wanted to be a cop. That's all I knew. I wanted to be a cop. So I took a job at Scott County, but what became a little more important is, is taking a look at like, what are the opportunities available? What can I possibly get into? And uh, at Scott County, it's a great agency with great people. And, and I really enjoyed working there, but I just wanted more. I wanted something bigger. So, uh, oh, by the way, my first winter didn't, uh, didn't, uh, hurt either in terms of making that decision. One winter anyway, that I, I was looking for help, uh, to help, you know, because it was so cold and snowy outside. And, I, and then I realized that I was the help. And that was another, <laughs> another <laughs> eye so with that said, um, that January, you know, I ended up applying to the Orange County Sheriff's Department and, um, and a couple other agencies. And I was very, very fortunate that they, they took a chance on me and they decided to give me a shot. So in uh, June of 2005, I entered into the Orange County Sheriff's Academy and started my second police academy in my life. And uh, that's where my career kind of went. Very cool. Yeah, I, I remember when you were talking about going to Orange County and starting over through the police academy after we had seen you graduate from the Iowa Academy. And I just thought, like, I can't imagine having to start from square one. I mean, I, I understand it's a whole new agency, different state laws. There's, I'm guessing so much that you have to learn and get accustomed to and trained on. But starting over, like, right, you, you get knocked down to peg one and you are now the entry-level person trying to, to get on. And uh, t- can you talk about maybe even the humb- the humility that it took to have to, to do that? I know you didn't have a ton of experience before going into that, but to, to start over in a sense. Yeah, I tell you what, it was uh, <clears throat> the state of California and, and most states have options for possibly passing on that. You know, maybe you can go through and test out of certain things and maybe you don't have to go to the academy. Um, I've got this um, probably a flaw that I've kind of developed over life. And that's just kind of like a um, I, I don't I, I'm not as a risk as risk averse when it comes to situations like this. For me, it was more like my thought, my attitude is, well, it's just training. I had no idea what I, what I was talking about because the Orange County Sheriff's Regional Training Academy compared to any other academy in Iowa or pretty much most areas, it's a different animal. Uh, Iowa's academy was more like a, a, you know, an academy with some school, some drill and ceremony, but it was more learning and learning based. And you went out there and did the hands-on stuff, whereas the Orange County Sheriff's Academy is more paramilitary. We have kind of a stress academy is what we call it. So. Going back to your original question, um, yeah, I mean, it, it really took for me, my attitude was it was just going to be training and I had to, I kind of learned pretty quickly that nobody really cared. You know, nobody cared that I came in with a master's degree or nobody cared that I had gone to school out of state or that I even worked in corrections or was a cop. Um, at the end of the day, when it came to the academy, you had to, you're, like you said, you're really starting from zero and you have to really establish your reputation right where you're at. So I came up with a plan and that plan was essentially just keep, to keep my mouth shut, um, to try to maintain a level of humility and just fill in where I could help where I could. And, uh, and little by little that, that seemed to take hold and it seemed to, 
be appealing to my classmates. So it actually ended up working out pretty well. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was definitely a, it definitely getting to a new academy starting from zero was was had some challenges for sure. Yeah, I bet. You know, I, I find myself you know working with teams a lot, and we talk a lot social and emotional intelligence. And one of the things that you just said really stood out to me, um, which is keeping your mouth shut. Which for me, I find is one of the hardest things to do. Right, right. When somebody says something and that you know and you want to respond with, "Oh, I know that already," versus just saying "thank you," you know, I reread that in a book recently. I read that in a book recently about kind of that approach or um, just the need to to you know because we come from a family with strong opinions, and so the need to have your opinions heard. But what I, I do find really admi- admirable from from leaders and leadership uh, are people who do more listening than talking. And take all the information in, assess it, and then make a decision. And so, uh, I really can appreciate that approach, especially because it does garner you respect from your peers and probably even from higher ups as well. Yeah, I tell you what, you know, we, you're right. The way we're raised is we are verbal. We are like verbal kin from uh, the usual suspects, man. We just can't stop. It's just it's our nature, you know. And and I had to do a lot of growing. I, I think you and I talk about this on the side a lot about how. Man, not everybody was raised in the Walewa house, you know, and and we have a very unique story and a very unique uh, upbringing. So it was like I had to figure out how to, just like most people, like anybody in the world, navigate the world outside of our house. So it definitely was, uh, there's definitely some learning uh, learning that occurred. And and frankly, I still, to this day, I'm I'm always learning. I'm always kind of like, like shocked by the, the moment where I'm like, man, I can't believe it. Here I am, you know, closer to 50 than I am to 40. And I'm still picking up these just basic social scenarios, you know, and how to, how to like navigate this world. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting deal. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I th- you know, we, you know, I've had plenty of conversations. This is really not unique to our, our respective fields, being able to pick up on those social dynamics, kind of understanding power and influence within organizations and, and, and how to navigate that. Because I, I think, you know, at our core, there's two things that, well, we have a lot of things in common, to be honest. And this is Josh talking, by the way. We have a lot of things in common, um, from a twin perspective. But the two things that, like, I, I, that I think that we tend to talk about a lot, um, it is ambition that we both have some real important personal and professional ambition, you know, whether it's our families and, and their needs and meeting their needs or our, our professional career paths and trajectories and or financial. You know, there, there are different things that we really want for ourselves, which is really important. And then the second thing that I think we both have really in common is that we have a desire to help people like we want to do right. Right. We want to do right for the world. And and to me, that's one of the things that I've really admired about your your role in law enforcement is that, you know, in the end, you're a cop, no matter what your title is, you're a cop and you're a cop who wants to make the world safer and better for people and you want to help people out. And I think I do it in a different way through education. But I think those are two th- th- uh, through lines to me that are, are very consistent on top of us both being very verbal in our respective <laughs> families and in our communities. All right. So this is a, the one that I, I, I struggled to, to frame this, but I, I, I'm so curious about this. Um, I want your perspective on your background uh, slash our background, because I know that we had, you know, we grew up in the same household, you know, and went through similar experiences. And then we kind of diverged a bit when you through high school and all that stuff. Um, but, and I'm, and my guess is regardless of being twins and all our commonalities, like we've experienced things differently. So I'd love to hear your take on kind of your background, like you, your, your thoughts on where we grew up, our family um, and anything else you'd like to share kind of what, what are your, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so I think it's funny. 
side note, Anna and my wife and I are looking at a photo of you and me when we had that recent visit. And she looked at our smiles and she's like, hey, do you realize your one tooth sticks kind of out diff- the same identical to the way your brother's does? I go, yeah, I just saw that for the first time. I just really noticed it for the first time. And I go, it's just, it's so funny to have, um, to have someone who's just basically you, you know? And the other thing is like, you know, you and I, we do this all the time. We always go back and talk about all the things we have in common because, you know, whether it's a medical issue that comes up, you know, or something else, we're always kind of giving, hey, heads up, man, this happened to me the other day, you know, so we're always kind of queuing it off all that stuff. And it, yeah, you're going to get your time. Joseph calls me, I have to tell you this, one, one year, back in like 2012 or something like that, uh, Joseph calls me, he's like, man, I'm getting my tonsils out. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, man, I got to get my tonsils out for apnea or for whatever reason. I was like, you got to be kidding me because I'm about to get mine out next week too. And I don't, you know, like people always think twins have all these things that are the same. That are the same. And medically, I'll say for sure, it's it's kind of nice to have somebody who can give you a heads up about some things that maybe, and it's not always him first. Sometimes it's me first, but, there's, but we typically have things where it's like, okay, dude, you should go get this checked out because I went and got this checked out. And, uh, and uh, if you want to get ahead of it, you know, here's a heads up. Yeah, it helps so you don't freak out as much, right? Hey, what's happening to me? Oh, that's right. Josh just told me about this. Ah, yeah. ocular hypertension. Yeah, piece of cake, man. Yeah. Never experienced that. All of a sudden I had it. I'm like, ah, I don't know what this is. No big deal. Yeah. So but, <laughs> so nature nurture, right? So we got the things that are identical, but then we have the things that are very different. And I think our upbringing kind of mani- uh, you know, manifested itself um, in, in very similar ways. And in other ways, they're a little bit different. So I think about like, I heard your, your podcast, your, your season finale, I think after season one and where you talk, you know, you have a conversation and you talk about yourself and some of the things you experienced. And, and it, it was at that as well, listening to you talk that I realized that we very much were perceiving the same thing. I mean, things were impacting us, right? But it was just the way we reacted to it was just very unique and different. Um, but there, but there, it was still the same in space. And I think if I was going to go all the way back, man, all the way back, you, you talked about um, the concept of death. That was one of the things that we talked about at, at length, you know, and, and I found that to be very interesting because I, you know, for me, it was, it was very much there as well since we were probably, shoot, I mean, I, re- I remember being a preschooler and hearing about mom's sister who just got killed by one of Idi Amin's soldiers out in Uganda, right? One of his, his people that was out doing their thing at a roadblock, they, they shot and killed her. And I remember that story from being like maybe two years old or three years old. So at a very early age, we were we were introduced to the concept of death, but didn't necessarily impact me necessarily as much up until right about the time when mom and mom divorced our father, because at that point there were some threats that were made and some things I won't get into for the purposes of this podcast and putting out for public consumption. But let's just say that there were some there were some things that were put out there that um, that would make any six seven year old be afraid for their lives. You know, you were. You were, I was constantly, when I want to talk about you, I'll talk about me. I was constantly wondering, when is it going to be the day? When's it going to be the day that I'm going to die? And uh, as we fast forward in life, then, of course, Richard Ramirez is a pivotal moment in our youth. The serial killer, it's called the Night Stalker. And that just, that was almost like the final, like the final nail in the coffin for thinking about death and, and death's impact for me. So for me, I, I want to say that with all the, the emotion, all the things that were attached to that, the fear, um, I finally just drew a line. And I just said that, um, well, if death's going to come get me, it's not going to come get me without a fight. And so it just seemed like from then on, from, I want to say, shoot, when mom was throwing a paper out when she was super young, when we were super young, on, you know, I'd be sleeping in the living room just because I'd just be waiting for death and whatever form that was, whether it was 
you know, the night stalker himself, or in one funny case, a drunk man who's just showing up to the wrong house and trying to break into our house because he doesn't realize he's at the wrong house. And there I am in the living room going, see, I told you he was coming, you know. Um, I just, it just manifested itself differently. Um, but that's a very dark place. Um, but that's just reality. I mean, I think there's also some pros to some of our upbringing, you know, um, some of the struggles we saw, like you just said it earlier, man, that, that, that strong will and desire to help people. It's like when you grew up in a situation that's really rough, you just want things great to be better for your kids. You just want to be better for your kids. But then it kind of starts to expand out from there. It's like, when I, okay, I want it to be better for my kids, but I want it to be better for all kids. And you start to realize that you don't have necessarily the reach that you wish you could have, you know, and I'm not a billionaire who can give money like Bill Gates, but maybe in whatever little way in my little part of the world, I can, I can do that. So I try to do that at work every day at the Academy. I try to do that as at home, you know, with my family, of course, that's priority. And then of course I do it, you know, my, we volunteer coach a basketball team with uh, every second graders through fourth graders. So we try to add that everywhere. So I know I kind of went in a few different directions there, but I think all those things, you know, the rough upbringing, you know, the fears, um, you know, I just decided to, to be a fighter. And I think that's, that's kind of my thing is, well, well, and I don't necessarily say I'm tough. I think no, no one would argue that Josh is definitely the tougher twin. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when it comes to fighting, I just mean fighting for what's right. You know, trying to do the right thing, being, trying to be, trying to be principled, not being perfect because I'm not, that's for dang sure, but just trying really hard to find the right thing to do and, and help people out. Yeah, I think we got that fight in us, Joseph, and I, it's, it, um, I appreciate you sharing that kind of your reflection on mortality. I, I wouldn't say I'm the tough. I remember some years back after you got through the police academy, and somebody asked me like, who was the tougher twin? Because you know, we were again, we grew up in the neighborhoods where we, we I got in some scraps. We got in some scraps. You know, I was a wrestler, and you know, I I fought way too long in my life, even into my adulthood, some knucklehead decisions. Um, but someone was like, you and your brother who can win? And I was like, do you think I want to try my brother? Like he trains to do <laughs> to defend himself on a daily basis. I, I got I got a gym body. He's got a body built for action. And I was in our thirties. Now we don't like. Come on, man. The first thing we're gonna to do is pour ourselves a drink and watch a, a show or or have a cigar or something like that. Um, yeah, hey, I want to just real- for Netflix. <laughs> my, I'm, I'm on that Disney Plus body. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, hey, just real quick, uh, you got to tell that story. I want to tell my. I was going to tell my version of it, but just. So my mom used to throw a paper out. I mentioned this before. She had she always had multiple jobs. She was sending money back to Africa and, you know, building a house in the village and building a school. And, and, you know, when she traveled to Africa, occasionally she could travel, save enough money. She would take clothes. But one of the things she did early in the morning is she would get up early. During the weekdays, she would throw a paper out. And Joseph used to get up early. When, whenever my mom left at 3 or 4 in the morning, Joseph would get up and, like, watch old, like, kung fu movies, um, or whatever was playing on TV late at night. So you got to tell them that story about, about that guy. Yeah. So it kind of mentioned my uh, <clears throat> fear of, of, you know, whoever it was, you know, the death, the grimery for himself coming into our house. And, and so I made this thing where I would sleep, mom would leave the paper out and I would just sit on the, sit on the couch at say three thirty four in the morning. And I, and I'd be half asleep half a week all the way till school started. Then we'd get up and go to school. Well, Sure enough, uh, I don't know if it was a weekday or what day of the week it was, but I'm sitting there and, you know, you ever get that feeling that someone's staring at you? And uh, so, well, actually what happened was earlier, I'd noticed because we had the lights on on our porch, I noticed someone walk by and this is the 80s, right? So there's real sheer like curtains. So I remember those yellow sheer curtains that we had. 
And I just, I just see a, a, a figure walk by. And uh, so I see that figure walk by and I'm not too worried about it. And then, uh, you know, within a few minutes, I'm watching TV again and it feels like somebody's staring at me. It's like that feeling like someone's watching. And sure enough, I look and there, I'll never forget his face, man. He had like a, a mustache, he had dark curly hair. And he was just like looking, like looking in the room. Like he, you could tell he was trying to look inside, but he couldn't see it much. But he's trying hard to look inside. And I'm staring, I'm like, what the heck's this guy going to do? And then he goes to the door and he just starts grabbing the doorknob and trying to open the door. And thank goodness it was locked because um, now he's like shoving the door and shoving it. I never forget the sound of boom, boom. And he's hitting the door and like knocking on it. And he's shoving the door and he's trying to get in. And so I freak out. I run to the back and I try to wake you and James up. And I'm like, guys, guys, someone's trying to get in the house. And uh, you get up. But of course, James is true to form. Is like, just lock the door. You know, <laughs> I want nothing to do with it. But anyway, fast forward, I ended up having to call the police and uh, the police showed up and you know, I was just being young and freaked out. But that was just one of those things. And the cops came later and they told us uh, he's really drunk. He has no idea where he's at. But it was just one of those things that just, man, it's, yeah, I forgot how old we were, super young, but it was just the most fr the freakiest thing. Like I said, it really just kind of reinforced. I like, yep, told you, knew it. I knew it, man. You, you, your moment was coming. And there you were. Good there job, it is. The boogeyman's finally got you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I remember you, Julie, James, and I, after James woke up and we're in the hallway and James is on the phone with a long cord. He's talking to the police and, and they, they, yeah, the guy was definitely a drunk. But I always think of it like a horror movie. Like when you see that thing out of the periphery and you don't think anything of it. And then you look over and the music goes, junk. And there's a guy just like, <laughs> the guy just staring you down or in the actual room, like in horror movies, that's how it show up. Like that's how I always imagine that situation. Oh, dude, it was frightening. It was horrible. But, you know, <laughs> it's a good story now. <laughs> yeah, we survived it, you know, yeah. And, and hopefully the guy found his way home with the cops help. All right, so we're going to take a little bit of a break here and uh, we'll get to the big question. So as you know, this podcast is called The Best Worst Thing, and, and the big part of this is we ask the big question, which is, uh, what's the best worst thing that ever happened to you? And, and so this is a chance for our guests to share a personal or professional setback that they experienced. So there's three parts to it. The what, what happened, how, like how did you actually work through it or go through it or, or, and survive it? Um, and then what, what did you take away that you want listeners to, to take away? Um, what are the lessons? So Joseph Walewa, Captain Joseph Walewa, What's your best worst thing? You know, it's kind of interesting because um, because I, I thought about talking about this from a career standpoint, but I decided you know we we all have opportunities and things happen at work and mistakes that we make at work, and I've already talked about you know, growing up with the Waleo household and how how unique it is in communication. But I'm going to kind of take it a different level, different direction, and uh, tell you that I think the best worst thing that happened to me was. Um, growing up in the situation with our father i think that's the best worst thing so i don't i know you and i didn't talk about this but i'll still you know we'll i'll put it out there so um unfortunately for us you know uh, our father was just uh, not the best man in the world he was not a good father um you know i want to disparage him he's got another family and another he's got another a whole other family so i'm not gonna disparage the man but just to say we had a lot of really really terrible experiences that um, if you wanted to learn how to be a father, if you wanted to learn how to be a good father, um, you the last place you'd want to go to our house. As a matter of fact, if you literally did the opposite of everything that we saw growing up with our father, 
um, you would be a great father. And, you know, whether it was the abuses um, that we would hear at night growing up, you know, when my father was being abusive to our, our mother, or whether it was a fear of what may come after they finally did separate and mom, and mom finally found the strength to leave and to take with her five kids all alone in a foreign country, you know, just a few years after she got here. Um, those are all just, just horrible, horrible things. And I think a lot of people could fold, you know, I think a lot of people could, could make excuses and say, well, you know, I had a rough life, so I'm going to, I'm going to, get into this or get into that and, and, and just use that as a crutch for the rest of their lives. And, you know, I think I kind of alluded to it earlier. I think I took the fear from just being afraid, afraid of what was the unknown, what was coming. Um, I think I took um, the frustration over not being able to protect our mother when we were children, when she was going through what she was going through. And I think I took even just the absence, not having a father around to, to raise us, to, to go to our sports games, uh, to give us life lessons, you know, <laughs> just talk to us like man to man or just father to child. But it's not father to son. It's just father to child, you know, like all those things were horrible, man, horrible. And, and I think any negatives that have come out of our lives, definitely there's a root there. But I, I'm happy to say that kind of like I said at the beginning of this I kind of had the perfect blueprint for what not to do, you know, like, you know, all you got to do is not beat up on your wife. Okay. Check. I can do that. I can do that. Right. And I won't get into the other details of, of the other things that he did, but, um, I definitely don't threaten my kids, you know, and, and I'm present, I'm present for my kids. Perhaps maybe some too present with coaching sports. They probably got sick of sports because of me. Um, but I really think that the worst thing that ever happened to me was, just kind of after we came to the United States and we had this beautiful childhood where like the world is perfect and we don't see things for what they are and that turned horrible when things took a dark turn learning about the reality. And, but then gosh, it's almost like they say like every time there's a volcano, like it's so destructive, but man, if you look at the flowers and the, the growth that comes out of volcanoes, this destruction turns into such beauty. And I think the beauty for me is being able to be with the same woman for 21 years to have, you know, two teenage daughters, a senior and a sophomore in high school, uh, to take some of those tougher lessons from really poor communication and just being flexible and knowing that, hey, man, people are flawed. I, I saw a flawed man growing up, right? I saw a flawed man, which means I have the ability and the possibility of being flawed and forgiving myself for being flawed, right? Learning to forgive myself and to just know, hey, man, look, it, it was a lot worse, dude. Like compared to what happened in the past, but compared to what you grew up with, you're doing pretty good, man. Like you got to really try hard to mess this up now. So I think the best worst thing is just that, man. It's just having this really, really rough, rough upbringing, rough start to life, man, with death and all these themes and abuse and and things that are unspeakable that I won't even say out loud for this podcast. But to be able to turn that stuff into just like this beautiful, the beautiful like growth and life that is like the family unit. You know, the relationship I have with my family and heck, man, Josh, you and my relationship, man, it's a beautiful thing, man. I don't think you can have, I don't think you can have two siblings that are any closer than you are, man. Like you and I are, I think, I think we could, life could have been hell and we could have turned it to literal crap, but instead, um, I think we chose to do some really good things with it. So there's my best worst thing, man. Whew. Yeah, man. I, I appreciated it because, because I was there with you. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, 
it was a heck of a thing and the cool part is we're only halfway there man i mean we're gonna do 90 so i mean like you know that's cool 90 part. i'm doing 112 i don't know what you're talking about like detroit city no i uh, i um no I, I appreciate your candor because you know, it's it's one of those things. It's real sensitive. I mean, I know we have um, half siblings out there that I, I've met. You know, when I when I visited that side of the family years ago, and 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 his wife, and and they're they're awesome people. They're awesome kids, and I know that each of them has had different experiences with him than we did. And so I've always been sensitive about you know being willing to be frank. I mean, I wrote about it in my dissertation. So if, if anybody ever wants to Google my dissertation, you can read all the some of the details in there. Uh, not I like you, Joseph, for as appropriate in, in 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 what I wanted to share. There's a certain level of detail that we don't need to share about a particular individual. Um, but there's some truths out there that you can't deny. Um, and one of the things that you and me and, and you know our other siblings have done, to be honest with you, is love our kids sometimes maybe even too much because we you know we 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 learned um, mom made some significant sacrifices so we got like the some incredible stuff from her growing up for the sacrifices that we witnessed and on the other end we got a like you said a clear blueprint of hey this is what's not going to work right and I, it's weird I don't know about you but I remember being like okay. With my son, I'm going to love him. I'm going to always be present. You know, I'm going to hug him. I'm going to kiss him as long as he lets me kiss him. You know, <laughs> I'm going to do all the things. And even when I went through my rough stuff and uh, endured that, he had to witness that. But I really have, you know, I dedicated the rest of my life to even make up that time for him as well. And oddly, because I don't want to give that much power to one particular person who, who failed in, in their ability to raise us. But I, I will say that I definitely, between looking at my friends' parents, my friends' dads in particular, um, who kind of had it together in their own different things, right? Like certain dads like were really tough, and certain dads were financial providers, and certain dads were really smart. So not just that, but also in opposition too, which I hate to say that that's a motivation, but I was like, I am not going to be that dude. Like not as I am not in any in in many 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 areas. I don't know him enough to know where he's where it's positive, but I know that, and that's an odd thing to reconcile. And I guess like like uh, Bill Hunt said to you a long time ago, and you me when we sat down with cop Bill Hunt, we had a, a, a cop friend, uh, my mother who passed away, who we loved dearly. He said to us like. You're, you're never going to heal 100% from this thing, but you can do better through your own kids. And we got a shot at it. What a life, huh? Like, well, you and me got, actually got a shot at that, at being able to do exactly what Bill Hunt said. Yeah, you know, I, I'll i never forget that conversation. It really just kind of set kind of a direction for me, you know, in terms of being a young man. And we were really fortunate, you know, and having a very strong mom who, who while she's trying to raise five kids all on her own and doing the best that she can, she... Either on her own, she would find people for us to interact with, like Bill Hunt mm-hmm. in our 20th year of life, all the way from there to, uh, man, even just like you said, like we just naturally did it. Like you're growing up and you see your friend actually has a, a whole uh, a family unit that's still intact. So you steal, right? You steal those moments, right? You're hanging out. Man, why are you always like we were always known as the polite kids and the great kids? No, I, I mean, because we like to hang out with our friends, but I think part of it was kind of like, it was kind of just cool to hang out with, listen to see what normal dads are like, you know, and see all yeah. their flaws and all the things they do right, you know. And then for me, like kind of summing it up, it's like, and now in marriage, you know, it's like, you know, my my in laws are still together; they've been together for uh, forever, and it's pretty cool to kind of now to kind of watch what they do and, and to see just normal people working through stuff. So you know, we were able to just find 
the right way to do stuff, right? We know what the wrong way is, man. We've seen that in space. Like, we know that. But I think uh, kudos to, to I think, if I'm going to pat myself on the back for one thing, well, first of all, I'm going to thank my mom for doing what she did. Also, you know, it takes it takes, a, it takes some kind of thing inside of a young kid to really just kind of steal stuff, right? You're just watching, observing, and learning. And, and I think that was just that strong desire just to fill that void, man. It's almost like balance. We had such a negative side that we, we had plenty of negative to bring to the table. So we were able to find that balance by stealing from other people. So I'm, I'm very thankful. I'll tell you what, man, you know, they always say a lot of things about life. It's like, you could have changed anything and then you wouldn't be in the seat that you're in right now. Like you could have literally made a left turn one day on the street and your whole life could have been different. Right. So in many ways, I'm, I'm just really glad, like as, as horrible and as tough as things were, I, I wouldn't change anything because I would have this beautiful scenario that I'm in right now, man. Just, just a beautiful scenario to have, to be able to have the family I have, to serve the way I get to serve and even navigate some of the difficulties in my current career working with the public. You know, I, I just, I wouldn't have these, these uh, wonderful challenges, you know, thank God for these wonderful challenges, the challenges of maintaining a marriage and raising teenagers, daughters, you know? So, Hey, you know, for me, that's, that's the, that's that silver lining, you know, could, could have been much worse and I wouldn't change a thing. That's perfect, man. Now we will end it on that note, but I, I do want people to be able to, both uh, if they're interested in exploring careers in law enforcement um, or if they're interested in following, I think you all have a Twitter or an Instagram page. Is there anything there that you, you all think you might be helpful for listeners? Yeah. Um, our website is, uh, um, let's see, ocsheriff.gov, I believe. I might have messed that up. Um, I'm, I am on Twitter. I am on Twitter at... Uh, at OCSD Joseph, so you can always see me on Twitter. I do some, not a ton of stuff, but every once in a while I'll put stuff on there. But you can definitely always check out the Orange County Sheriff's Department website. Um, there's a lot of good resources out there for people who want to get out there and serve. I can tell you right now, I think, here's my PSA. You ready for PSA? Man, a majority of the cops, um, the overwhelming majority are people just like me, just a immigrant from or just a kid that grew up in some town, somewhere in any town USA who just wants to do well, you know, and, and we're coming to a town near you and we're going to do continue to do our best. And when we make mistakes, we're going to work through them and we're going to work through them together. But I'll tell you what, just, just know that there are plenty of people out there who just are just average, average Josephs <laughs> from whatever town who just trying to do the right thing. So yeah, please check us out on our website, um, ocsheriff.gov and, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'll have to confirm that later. <laughs> All right, perfect, man. And is Sheriff.gov is correct. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the Best Worst Thing Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Willow. Music is produced by Josh One. You can follow him at Boom Note on Instagram and Twitter, and Josh One on Spotify. Our episodes are edited by Cool Jets Audio and Vision. You can follow them at CoolJetsAV on Instagram. Our marketing is designed by Francesca Daniels. You can find her at FrankandKitty24 on Instagram. And our overall design is by Inspired Design with Ryan Daniels. You can find them at GetInspired.Design on Instagram. Thank you for listening to The Best Worst Thing. This one's for the good times and this one's for the bad. This one's for the day that was the best we ever had. This one's for my friends, and this one's for my foes. The ones who get up on your skin do not even know.